I just continue to be so grateful for all of those who are helping to put our worship services together, for, uh, for all of those who are part of the service this week, for our, um, our liturgist, Lynette Thompson, for our special music, which was our children's choir, which was a previous recording, um, but uh, a wonderful addition to have, um, for uh, all of for our praise team who, um, who meet together and record these, uh, these selections, for Gary Brubaker, who puts them together for us. Um, gosh, just so many people who have helped to make these worship experiences what they are. Thank you. And, um, and a continued thank you for those who are helping to make our worship services outdoors um, what they are as well. For those who are setting up our sound system, um, for those who are greeters, and for those who are ushers, and, and for those who've been participating. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for, um, for all you do to make our worship what it is. So as we continue in our worship service here, we are um, in the third week of our series called Living the Questions. Uh, what is, um, this week is, what is God's judgment and does God discipline? Now, these questions that we're wrestling with together may not be the questions that you have to, for, or about God, or faith, or church. Uh, Chances are pretty good, though, that you know someone for whom these are their questions. Or even, perhaps, these or other questions that you have are some that you are afraid to ask or afraid to bring up. But no question is off-limits. Our God can handle all of our questions and all of our wonderings. Um, and so we wrestle with these together um, at our 9.30 online service um, or at our uh, 11 o'clock service in our uh, parking lot. So we've looked at how do I discern God's messages? How do we know who has it right about God? Uh, this week, does God discipline or what's God's judgment? Why do bad things happen? And when is the end of the world? And of course, these are, you know, just the light questions. Well, Is there really a light question? I think all of our questions about faith and spirituality and religion sometimes can feel very heavy. And so we don't carry them alone. We share them with one another. We wrestle with them together. And sometimes we come up at different places. And I think that faithfulness is not in coming up with the answer, but the process and the wrestling together. So this morning, what is God's judgment And does God discipline? Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, well, let's talk about judgment a little bit. Um, when I was in uh, when I was in seminary, well, when I was in college, um, I had a friend that uh, we went to chapel together and we went to Bible study together. And oftentimes, we had uh, this joke between us that when one of us did something that was silly or wrong, or we knew that we were, um, it just wasn't we weren't behaving very well. We would uh, we would have this joke that we would look at each other and we would say, "You need to pray right now." Um, and, uh, it was, it was a way of calling each other out and also holding each other accountable and, and also just having some fun together. Um, so when I went away to seminary, uh, she was still in college 
And I came back about a year later um, and um, you know, lots of, lots of things had changed. And so, uh, we were together in a group and, um, and I don't know, I said something and then she said something. And for me, it felt like, ah, oh, this is old times, like, you know, a year ago. Um, and so she said something and I looked at her and goes, you need to pray right now. And, um, and then I was like, oh, this is fun. Like I laughed, but she wasn't laughing. And she looked at me and she goes, I always knew you were judging me. And I thought, oh goodness, <laughs> that is not what was happening at all. And, and she launched into the, the places that she had been hurt over the past year. And um, my statements felt like another air of judgment on her. And not just judgment from anyone, but especially judgment from the church. And it was not my intent at all. It was never my intent to judge. But we often feel judged. Judgment is something that we all have. Um, I, I have, when friends have gotten together, um, we have what's called a, a judgment-free zone. But the truth is, is that it's not judgment-free because we all have things in our head, right? We all have these subtle judgments that we make based on our own experiences or preconceived notions. We have judgments. Now, when we have judgments or um, when we have especially been hurt or wronged, when we've been hurt or wronged, we really want to know that the other person will get what's coming to them. And when it comes to our own sins and wrongdoing, we hope it doesn't happen that way. But when things happen to us, sometimes we want an explanation. Did that thing that happened that was not good, was that God? Did God do that? That thing that was great, did, did God do that or was that me? Did I do something wrong? And is this a punishment? We want some answers sometimes. Well, throughout scripture, we have this love story. It is an incredible story of love that God has. We can see it through cre the creation story. We see it in the waters of baptism. We see, of course, through the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus is full of love. The love that chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's the love of God. God loves you. Now, this God is the same God throughout all of Scripture. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is the same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, some people will say that as they read through the scriptures, they, they see a different God in the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And the Old Testament God always seems so angry or full of judgment or full of punishment. But there are so many stories of the love of God through the Old Testament just as there are as many stories of human beings denying and rejecting that love of God. 
And there are also stories in the New Testament of anger and what feels like judgment, as well as the stories of love. Love undergirds all of this. So let's look at the book of Jonah. Now, we had just a short passage that we read from Jonah for this week, um, but the book of Jonah is fairly short and can be read pretty easily. Um, we did a Bible study on this uh, sometime back in the spring, I think it was, um, looking at the story of Jonah. So uh, the parable of Jonah is actually a really beautiful love story. So Jonah was a prophet, and a prophet is someone who shared a message from God. They were deeply, uh, prophets are deeply connected to God and shared messages that oftentimes um, are and were very controversial. Sometimes they were messages of God's displeasure and the rejection of God. Uh, sometimes they were messages reminding people that you're not doing what God has called you to do and to be. Or perhaps the world is not looking like the way that God intended it to look. They were often challenging messages, but uh, they were messages that were really intended to uh, encourage God's people to follow God and what God called each and every one of us to do and to be. But oftentimes these messages were not received very well at all, mostly because who wants to be told you're doing something wrong or that what you're doing is causing suffering to someone else? You also don't want to hear that, that you've disappointed God. Now, many people uh, didn't want to hear that message. And honestly, we don't want to hear that message still today. So prophets were often killed for sharing these messages. Most often, prophets met a really violent death because people were so opposed to hearing their messages of truth. And the call stories of most of these prophets goes like this. God says to them, hey, you're going to be my prophet. And their first response is, uh, no. Um, I know what that means and I know what that entails. And so there's a reluctant answering the call there. Um, so uh, there's these uh, messages from these prophets. And so Jonah was a prophet. And God tells Jonah that uh, Jonah needs to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was a wicked city. If you've ever seen the VeggieTales version of Jonah, um, I've been singing some of the songs even as I've been preaching this morning. Jonah was a prophet. I, we, I don't know if we have the copyright for that. So um, Jonah was a prophet. And in the VeggieTales version, um, Nineveh, the way that they portray Nineveh and being the evil place that it is, is that it's the city that slaps people with fish, which seems really unpleasant. Um, but in reality, um, of course, it was much worse than slapping people with fish. In reality, uh, Nineveh was a very violent city full of violent people. It was a very unwelcoming place and really not a place that anyone would really willingly go to just because. At the entrance to the city, you would find stakes uh, with the unwelcomed people's heads on them, lining the entrance, which 
makes you want to rush right in there. It's a great tourist destination, right? Not really very welcoming. And they were there warning people to not enter and to not come here because they weren't welcome. So this is the kind of place that Jonah was being asked to go to. And so can you imagine his, I mean, he was probably like right there ready to go, yay, Nineveh. If Nineveh took the heads of people who were just visiting, what would they do if someone came there and said, guys, you're wicked? Probably not the most comfortable place to be in. And so Jonah goes in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh and goes out to sea in the furthest, uh, the furthest away that he can get. And so the boat that he's on, it gets rocky and the storm is fierce and Jonah um, and on the boat, they're um, trying to figure out what's causing this, who is causing the storm? Who has made God so angry that this storm is coming up? And Jonah like sits in the corner like, I don't know, what's going on? Um, Until finally he says, It's me. I was supposed to go to Nineveh. I'm not. And so they throw him overboard and he finds himself in the belly of a great fish. Oftentimes when this story is told, it was Jonah was in the belly of a whale. Um, But the, the scriptures actually say it was the belly of a great fish. And, um, uh, three days later, uh, after Jonah has been in the belly of the, the fish and decides that, all right, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Um, the, uh, the fish throws him up on land. It's a little bit more graphic in the scripture, um, but throws him up on the dry land. Beautiful. Now, Sometimes I think it does take us to be alone and to be able to only rely on God, to realize what it is that we, that we need to do and how to do what God has called each of us to do. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and he figures, fine, I'll preach this, this message of repentance and I'll share God's message with the people but I know they still won't repent because Nineveh, mm, they're bad. So they won't repent. And then I'll get to watch God destroy the city. So that's what fuels Jonah. So he goes to Nineveh and tells the people of Nineveh that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And so he he um, preaches from one end of Nineveh to the other, which was a very large city. In fact, it took about three days to get from one end of the town to the other. And so he preaches this message throughout Nineveh, repent, repent, repent. And as he's preaching this message throughout Nineveh, the whole journey, the three-day journey, something clicks with the people of Nineveh through Jonah's message, really through the grace of God. And the people of Nineveh believed God and began to fast and repent. They turned around and went a new direction from what they were doing. And so then God was true to God's word too. 
God saw what they had done and that they had turned around. And so God said, I won't destroy the city. You see, because God loved the city of Nineveh before this, God loved the city of Nineveh so much that God was so disappointed by what they were doing, their evil and their wicked ways, that God wasn't going to leave them in their wickedness. And so God sent Jonah to remind them of who God is. That's what God does. God loves us right where we are, in the middle of our brokenness and wickedness in the middle of our hurt and our giftedness. And so our scripture picks up at the end of the story. Jonah believed in the love of God and in the grace and the forgiveness of God. Who doesn't want to believe in those things for themselves? And Jonah believed in this so much that he was constantly preaching it in different places And he certainly believed in God's mighty power and forgiveness and grace and love. But he thought Nineveh doesn't deserve it. And so after proclaiming this message of love and grace and forgiveness and repentance, Jonah saw what happened to Nineveh, that they repented and God didn't destroy the city. So what did he do? Did he celebrate with the people and and join in their repentance? Or did he share the good news that they had been redeemed? No. Jonah gets mad at God for being faithful. Jonah tells God, this is why I fled to Tarshish in the beginning. For I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and and ready to relent from punishing. I mean, that sounds terrible, right? I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And so Jonah goes east of the city and says, it would be better for him to die than to do something like this again. Jonah would rather die than to see God's love in action, to see people repent and believe and live their lives differently because of God's love. And so he goes to do just that. And God provides a bush to Jonah to give him shade and ease his discomfort. And Jonah is so happy about that. He's thrilled about the bush and the shade. And he's resigning himself that maybe the, this way of life he's choosing, well, maybe it just won't be so bad. And so the bush withers because of a worm and the wind blows hot and the sun beats hard. And Jonah has more compassion for the bush that has withered than all of Nineveh. And so God says to Jonah, you're concerned for this bush that you had nothing to do with. You didn't create it and you didn't sustain it. It was there for a day and in a night it was gone. Don't you see why I am so concerned about Nineveh? That in this great city of Nineveh, 
There are more than 120,000 people who didn't understand what they were doing and they needed to be shown my love. God is telling Jonah that even in their wickedness and brokenness, God loved Nineveh and wanted them so much to understand and to turn around and believe that. And Jonah doesn't want to accept that. Jonah doesn't want to accept that God loves Nineveh just as much as God loves Jonah. In April, uh, ESPN released The Last Dance. Uh, it was a docu-series about the Chicago Bulls' 97-98 championship season. And as I watched that, it reminded me of a lot of the players and the stories. And it also sent me down rabbit holes of where people are now and what they're doing um, or what happened to them. And so one of, the, one of the people, the characters in particular, is Dennis Rodman, um, who was the multicolored sheep of the NBA. And I read lots of tales of tempers and fights and, and some of the things that he had been doing since then. And then I found um, in, uh, in 2011, um, he was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. And in the 12-minute speech that he gave in this ceremony, he talked a lot about his mistakes, about his failures, he talked about his surprise at being honored, and he talks to many of the people that he had wronged, some teammates, some coaches, his wife, his kids, and his mother. And towards the end of his speech, he makes this confession. He says, my wife has put up with a lot from me. I haven't been a good husband or a good father, and I can't lie about that. People ask, do I have regrets throughout my basketball career? And I say, yes, I have one regret. I wish I was a better father. Can you imagine hearing that? What would be your reaction or what is your reaction as a fan? What's your reaction as his wife or his children? Do you sit underneath the bush like Jonah, hoping for judgment? Yeah, yeah, but what about? What about? Do we believe that God loves us? Does God love us more than God loves those wicked and evil people? Well, Actually, God loves everyone. That doesn't mean that God loves what people are doing and their action, but God does love everyone. And God loves us in the middle of our weakness and our brokenness and hurting. And God loves us enough not to leave us there. All of the world, all of creation, no exceptions. No matter how many times we break God's heart by what we do, God still loves us. And there's nothing we can do about it. You can love God back. You can worship. 
You can turn your life around and do what God has called you to do. That's what we do in response for God's love and grace for us. Because we have been offered the gift of salvation, we respond to all of God's people to meet their needs. Not to pay God back for what God has done or to earn salvation or even to earn more love from God. There's nothing that we can do that Jesus hasn't already done for us. We don't do good works to earn God's favor. We do God's work. We do good works because God has already loved us. God loves what we can be and what we are. God loves who we were and who we will become. God loves you. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement, spent some time in America to share the message of the gospel and see how God's grace moved and worked. Now, he was different than Jonah in that he really wanted to see a change happen. John Wesley was a brilliant and faithful but very complicated man. And through a series of circumstances, made some mistakes, and there was a warrant issued for his arrest, and and he returned to England defeated. He didn't do what he had set out to at all, and in fact may have done more harm than good. And so he continued to remain faithful to his vows as an Anglican priest, but really just felt like he was going through the motions. He believed in God's love and forgiveness, but was struggling to believe it for himself. Until one day he went to a worship service where he heard God's message of love proclaimed in a way that he finally heard it for himself. And at Aldersgate, Wesley said that his heart was strangely warmed as he realized that Jesus died for me. Yes, even for me. That's the love of God. To realize that God loved the whole world so much that God sent Jesus Christ. And that you, as an individual of sacred worth, are who God had in mind in doing that. God loves you. And sometimes that can be just too overwhelming for us to even imagine. God loves you. So don't worry about figuring out all of the intricacies of God's love. Don't worry about figuring out how you can repay God for God's love. Don't worry about doing everything perfect so that you can keep God's love. Just stay in love with God and let God love you. And that love will change you because that's who God is. God loves us right where we are and God loves us enough not to leave us there. And we get to tell others about this love, the love that changed us, the love that loves us, the love that changed and changes the world. Now, yes, there are consequences for our actions. You know this. You've experienced it. And there are times when there's no explanation for something that happened. You can't make sense out of senselessness. What is true? God is there with you, offering you love and grace and even God's self. Love came down at Christmas. 
Love is seen on the cross. Love that loves you, love that loves the world. Where will you stand? Will you sit with Jonah underneath the tree, holding on to the judgment of others, or even yourself? Or will you stand on the side of love, knowing that the road isn't easy, but you never go alone? No matter what choice you make, the love of God never leaves you. I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. For God so loved the world. Amen. Amen.